on the Empire Podcast this week. We've got the touch. We've got the look. This is right, Stanley Tucci, for it is he pops in to talk about his new movie, Final Portrait. All that and more on the movie podcast that features very fine people on both sides. Very fine people. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, uh, which this week is once again sponsored by those lovable peeps at Sky Atlantic, whose new original revenge thriller, Tin Star, starring Tim Roth, Tim Roth and Christina Hendricks, will be coming to your screens from September 7th. Monday, September 7th. Uh, you can either binge all the episodes at once like a greedy Gus, or you can wait for your weekly fix. It's entirely up to you. Or binge a couple, and then wait a week for the next one. It's entirely up to you. But remember those, those, that crucial date. September 7th, Sky Atlantic, Tin Star, Tim Roth. There we go. Uh, right, now that's done and dusted, it's time to welcome this week's colleagues of such lethal cunning. Two of them, in fact. Uh, we've lost Phil to a back injury this week. Uh, so first up is our resident geek queen, a lady who... Uh, uh, in fact, I was, I was going to give you an intro about Hamilton, but you've just run another marathon, haven't you, Helen O'Hara? Uh, uh, what, what, why, how, what? Come on. Yeah, it was number five. Uh, Salisbury oh. 54321 highly recommended as races go they're five, lovely five, they give you cake halfway through if you're getting a bit tired a that's not a marathon it is, it's that's a, tra- a bake off it's a trail marathon with a bake off trail mix great. marathon more like well yes though, that comes in handy too oh my word hey. why do you run the marathons I mean run is a really strong word for what I do first of all what's um, your time let's never speak of it <laughs> And um, but it was—it's lovely. It's a beautiful course. Uh, I met some very nice people. I got talking to a lady who was uh, also Northern Irish, and then it turned out she'd done two hundred and eighty-three marathons. I've done two hundred and eighty-three marathons, so I have. Yeah, so I didn't like her anymore. <laughs> I'm kidding. She was no, awesome. She's lovely. She's lovely. Uh, yes. My aunt, I believe. Is this right? Probably. 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 Uh, well done on that. Um, and uh, I am going to New York in December. Hooray! So, any advice on how to get Hamilton tickets? Which <laughs> um, was your original interest. You have two kidneys. Do you really need them both? Well, the thing is, I'm going to see it twice in London. Yeah. So, do I need to see it in America? And I'm it's not, not so the sure original how. cast anymore, so maybe. This is my thing. It's like, uh, I'm going to the States for a few days with my wife, and, you know, I thought, do I, you know, should we go see some shows, and they're really expensive, and do you, what, what do you want to see? I did want to see The Play That Goes Wrong with the original... British cast, uh-huh. but now they're swapping out in September and it'll be a bunch of Americans doing terrible English accents and I don't really want to do that. Maybe they'll be great English Maybe accents. Maybe they'll be great, but it just won't be the same. You, you could go, go see, see something. Day with uh, Andy Carl? Uh, except mm-hmm. it's finishing in New no! York and coming back to London. No! When? Uh, it's finishing in like, I don't know, September, October, something like that. But it's coming back to London. Oh. I was devastated by this news and then I was very pleased that we get it. And it if they don't appreciate it, yeah. to hell with them. It hasn't caught on in the States no. at all the way that I, I was expecting it to because it's a thing of wonder. It is. Hello, James Dyer. Should I introduce you to the podcast at some point? Uh, don't bother. Oh, oh you're right. Hi, Chris. It's yeah. nice to be welcomed and, and wanted. Uh, an intro, but... Can't bother. Yeah. Fair What's enough. the... Uh, you, mean, you haven't run a marathon this week, have you? I have never run a marathon. Ever. I don't see it happening either, unless someone chases me, if I'm honest with you. (laughs) For 26.2 miles. They'd have to really want to catch me. (laughs) But not so much that they, like, sprint at any point. Yeah, they'd be pacing themselves. Yeah. 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 Be like a shit Terminator. Uh, You're a big fan of the West Wing, aren't you? You've mentioned it once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. Is it it entirely realistic, the West Wing? Is there an episode? (laughs) Is there an episode in the West Wing where the president refuses to, oh, I don't know, criticise Nazis? Is that... 
I mean... That does, in fact, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Uh, were you impressed that last week uh, when I interviewed Al Gore, I basically talked climate change with him for 20 minutes just as a sort of warm-up so that I could drop a Western question at the end? That's assumed that I listened to that interview. <laughs> Let's assume that, yeah. I've listened to the interview, obviously, but the the dozens of listeners to this podcast won't have listened to it. <laughs> They'll have just skipped right through it. Of course, the because... Stuff. Yeah. They go, where's the Jim Robin impressions? I don't want this Al Gore business. Uh, so... What was the question for the people uh, who didn't listen to that interview? Well, it, it doesn't really matter because I asked him a question about the, the West Wing and he did a, a masterful pivot back to climate change as, oh. as if that's somehow a more worthy topic of conversation. <laughs> and I was quite put out. I mean, that, but, that, that makes no sense. Uh, what yeah. are you going to do? Yeah, you can get revenge on so, them when you uh, review an inconvenient sequel later on in the podcast. I, I just went home and turned on all the lights and started, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck you, Al Gore! Immediately took a flight. The longest right, flight I yeah. could take. <laughs> just called up BA. Where's that? Well, can I go around the globe a couple of times? <laughs> just just circle it. Yeah. And then just spray an aerosol. You can. are yeah, terrible yeah. people, yeah, both it. of you. Yeah. Wow. Having said that, I just started re-watching The West Wing last night, um, which was fun, because the first episode is just just one for the ages. It, how, how, is this, how are you not doing what I'm doing, which is re-watching it along with the West Wing Weekly podcast? Well, I started listening to the West Wing Weekly podcast last year when I was training for my other thing. And um, and it reminded me how much I loved it, but at the time I was doing too many other things to start re-watching. So now I'm, what I'm doing is being really annoying and watching it with my sister and explaining to her all the things I learned from the West Wing Weekly. Wow. So it must be really fun for her. Yeah, Helen explaining the West Wing to her. I am Helen explaining <laughs> the West Wing. Dear God in heaven. Right, shall we have a question? Let's do it. Let's do it. The question is from... Who's it from? It's from at Dan Burden, 1138. Uh, not his real name, I'm guessing. And he asks, and it's really simple, very, very simple, favourite Nick Cage hairstyle? Well, I think Nicolas Cage's best hairstyle has got to be The Rock. Done. The Rock? Let's move on. The Rock? Yeah, no, I, wait. I, you mean Con Conair. Conair, Cameron That's Ho. a terrible hairstyle. Yeah, that's why it's available. Yes, but no. that's why... No, Nicolas Cage should always have terrible hair. That's just the way it is. She's not wrong. Well, it is the way of the world, and there's not much you can do about it. Although he's tried over the years. But... Oh, no, I'm not having Conair. I'm I not mean, Conair. Say, no. I mean, what are we saying? Like, favourite as in, were you Nick Cage, this is what you would wear to work? Mm. Or yeah. is it favourite as in, most entertaining? So, like, are we talking, like, you know, the kind of receding fro he has in, in adaptation? That kind of... Uh, yeah? 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 That sort good. of fuzziness, the fuzzy perm. Yeah. Fuzzy fading perm in Pretty adaptation. Good. But that's not something you'd want to sport, or indeed that he would want to sport. But he's settled on a hairstyle recently, hasn't he? He really, you know, he has, he's, he's chopped and changed over the years. He's a man who's prepared to dye his hair and to cut his hair and to do all sorts of terrible things to his hair. And maybe that's taken this toll over the years on his hair. So maybe this is why he's, of the last few films, he has seems to have settled on largely the same cut, the same colour, the same everything. I guess. Has he? Yeah. Okay. And all those terrible direct-to-video action movies that he's doing. It's possible I've missed some. It's all the same film, Helen. Yes, that's why. Yeah. You should watch them. They're, they're really terrible. Uh, Peggy Sue Got Married is a pretty fantastic one. Uh-huh. Was the, that his quiff period? It was. I mean, it's got volume. It has volume. There's mm-hmm. a, I mean, you know, it's a Nicky Clark wet dream, that whole thing. <laughs> So it's the 80s, basically. <laughs> well, uh, didn't he do uh, uh, that kind of... He had a, like a highlighted, sort of side-swept little thing in that Valley Girl film that he did. Right, um, yeah. yeah. He's, he's sported the kind of long mullet-esque type thing on a number of occasions. And I'm like, What's it, what did he wear in there? What's that one that we saw? The, the magic one with, with wizards. The magic one. The magic one The Sorcerer's Apprentice. The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm, was it that one? 
Yeah, that's the magic one with wizards. Oh, do you mean uh, Season of the Witch? It might have been Season of the Witch. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. Fairly stupid in that. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a shame. He 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 can be all over the uh, the place hair wise. Raised in Arizona, he's got quite bad hair in that as well. Uh, look at this. There's a film called Arsenal in this country. He plays a character called Eddie King. Look at that. It is a Good kind Lord. of weird. I think that's obviously meant to be a wig it's a Jace, on the character. Jason wow. Schwartzman sort of a look yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. And of course, Jason Schwartzman is what his nephew, his yep. cousin. What is he? A nephew? That's something like that. Yeah. So he's he's gone to Jason. He's gone. Look, Mike, can I borrow your hair for the weekend? And Jason Schwartzman's gone. It's actually my hair, Uncle. Uh, please leave me alone. Stop. Oh God, please no, God. And then he's got the hair, and, and there you go. You know that kind of back swept long. You know, Vincent Vega meets Travolta in Swordfish kind of look. Yeah, he has that in in Bangkok Dangerous. That's pretty pretty excellent. Sort of pitch black dye job. Oh, mm. <laughs> it's quite special. It's a great name for a band. <laughs> Pitch black dye job. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So we're going for the, the favourite Nicolas Cage hair. Helen's already said Con Air. It is Con Air. You think it's Con Air? It's I think, Con Air. I think that hair is a crime against uh, tonsorial elegance. It yeah. Really, it's yeah. awful. Yeah. We are in agreement awful. about yes. that. Mm. Nobody's arguing. But why you. is it a good thing? Well, because he's never had good hair. So you're picking the most outrageously bad hair. Yeah. That hair nearly derails that film. Well, you've got... Okay, so Ghost Rider hair is fairly standard, but it's so obviously a sentient wig that, you know, <laughs> it kind of doesn't know what I'm talking about it. What are you saying? I'm saying it's, it probably was, it was co-billed. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I'm prepared to say that on the air. But, uh, <laughs> uh, what about his gone 60 seconds hair, right? Okay, that's, that's pretty good hair. He's it got was. the kind of the slick back hair, a bit dyed blonde... No, I guess. no, no? no but it, it it pales in comparison to Angelina, Angelina Jolie's horrendous yeah. hair in that, that film. amazing platinum weave that she has. It's Plat- plat- platinum dreads, almost like it's, it's massive, not a good it? yeah. not a good look for anybody. Same hair as uh, Charlize Theron in uh, Fast and Furious Eight, mm. pretty much, isn't it? Uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's not a million miles. Proto Khaleesi. Yeah, the thing is, you know, he, I don't know. Kiss of Death. He's got some sort of weird kind of uh, side parting thing going on. Uh, it could happen to you. Uh, Red Rock West, Honeymoon in Vegas, Sandily got that pitch black. Yes, yes, Sandily yes. with, with the, little, the, the little chin fuzz. Yeah, mm. Wild at Heart. He's got pretty good hair in Wild at Heart, right? Pretty cool. It's just another quiff. Yeah, but it's cool quiff. I mean, it's just like him doing Elvis. I feel I'm, like I'm, I can't have Conair. I can't. I, thought, well, I feel I'm being unfooted in this one. I've, yeah, I, I've just looked up uh, Deadfall, and yeah. uh, one caption right has described his haircut in Deadfall as casual Hitler. So uh, that's something we should all aspire to. There we go. Very fine people on both sides. I mean, sides. Knowing is, is another Nadir, isn't it? Great film, though. Yeah, very underrated. You guys genuinely think that? Yeah, underrated. I'm not yes. saying necessarily. Can we form a club after the podcast yeah. is over? <laughs> knowing rules. The Knowing Club. Yeah, it's good. Excellent. All right. Okay. So officially, I've been overruled in this. I think it's I think it's hair that nearly derails the film. Conair is a masterpiece, as we all know. Uh, but the hair is so terrible. And I want to know what the thinking was behind the hair. Like, yeah, I know Cameron Poe's been in prison, but they have barbers in prison, right? Or they at least have access to stabbing implements that you could use to cut your hair with. And <laughs> They have access to stabbing implements that you could use to cut your hair with. Yeah. Just, I'm not an expert. Yeah. On the prison system, uh-huh. but I think certainly the oh, ide- the oh, ide- the ideal <laughs> the syntax of my sentences is that they do not have stabbing implements. I think they do just I, circulating. I'm pretty sure I've seen the odd film where people get you know they get that special prison hug, don't they? 
where yeah, the sharpened know, toothbrush. I really like you. And then they just. And I don't. They, I don't think like sharpened toothbrushes. And again, correct uh-huh. me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Are that great for haircutting? I don't know. I think if you get the hair, you get the hair. Because he says at the end, he says, I meant to get my hair cut, right? So clearly he was meant to go to the prison barbers and they all have sharpened toothbrushes. Ah, but maybe the prison barber is famously bad. And he was planning (laughs) to get his hair cut on the outside, which would certainly explain his decision not to get his hair cut before getting on the plane. Whatever, Helen. Whatever. All right. I think you've, you've won this round. But we'll see if you win the next round. Uh, if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can, of course, do so via a number of methods. You can uh, use Twitter, as Dan Burden did with that thought-provoking question. Thanks, Dan. And we're on Twitter as at Emperor Magazine, and you can use the hashtag Emperor Podcast, and that'll help us see the question. Uh, we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine, and you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Uh, okay, so it is time for some movie news. Okay, so it's time now for some movie news. What has been happening in the world of the movies? I guess the big news this week? Bondage. Bondage. Yeah. Yeah. It's of happening. human bondage. I mean, what a film. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean James. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Helen, it's, as, a, as a diehard fan of the franchise, Super perhaps, fun. perhaps it's biggest. Would you like to tell us about this? Uh, Daniel Craig, in the world's least surprising news ever, is confirmed to return as James Bond. Although he did lie about this less than three hours before confirming it. Yeah. So you've got to be impressed at his commitment to not confirming it until he was on American national television. Almost as if he were a spy. (gasps) And he wouldn't give up the information. I have to say, I would feel mightily miffed if I'd been one of the journalists who'd been interviewing Daniel Craig uh, the other day. He was talking about Logan Lucky, obviously, his new film. Yes. Soderbergh. And obviously every journalist who went into the room talked to him. Was he in New York? Is Colbert Stephen... So he revealed the news to Stephen Colbert on The Late Show. And uh, is Colbert now in New York or LA? I don't know. I don't okay. care. Wherever he is, he's in New York. That's uh, just saying. So every journalist who went into the, the room with Daniel Craig obviously went in going, so, Bond 25, are you doing it? And he went, um, um, look over there, a blue car. And uh, and basically lied to them. Didn't lie to them, but just... No, he did lie. He basically said, talks are ongoing, no decisions have been yeah. made. Well, that's, that's not Which a lie. Which is a lie. That's not a lie. No that's decisions lie. have been made. No decisions have been made. How do we know he didn't make a decision in the last three hours? <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. He was yeah. he was being economical with the truth, yeah. I would say. That yeah. I wouldn't say he was outright lying. He didn't uh-huh. say, for example, I'm not doing Bond 25, and then three hours later, said to Stephen Colbert, That's because true. Stephen Colbert is apparently a priest that you can only speak the truth to. As our lawyer, we would like to make clear that Daniel Craig was not definitely lying. He may have been economical with the truth. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, he's back, so he wants to go out on a high note with Bond, which apparently the last one wasn't, which, let's face it, is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's The last hope... one was more of a kind of... Uh, note. Yeah, it was, the, the last one was pitchy. Uh, you know? uh, 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 like that. That's amazing. You should be on the X Factor. I should be on the That's X Factor. one of the pitchy people that gets kicked off in the first week. Uh, yeah, I'd, like to do, I'd like to do a Skyfall by Adele. Yeah. <laughs> Skyfall, crumble. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'd ap- like to apologise to all the listeners who are left. <laughs> in fairness. Uh, so what do we feel about this? Um, do we feel, I mean, Eon seem to have some sort of, they seem to feel that Daniel Craig is Bond and they don't want to uh, bring anyone else in. They don't want to indoctrinate anyone else into the role at this point in time. 
Is there such a connection? Do audiences have that connection with, with Daniel Craig as James Bond? Or would this have been the right time to, to bring in Jodie Whittaker? To bring in Jodie Whittaker <laughs> and uh, really strike out for Pastors New. I, th- I think they're probably right that people wanted one more Daniel Craig because last one wasn't a high note. I think if, almost if he'd left after uh, Skyfall, I think people probably would have been happier in a way. Uh-huh. But leaving after Spectre, everyone's a bit like, eh. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, right now he's done two out of three good Bond films and one not so good. Um, maybe he's hoping to make it 75% good. Hang on, hang on. Are we doing podcast maths or real maths here? Cause... Real maths? Okay, so he's done f- f- four Bond films. Wait, no, I'm wrong. Yes, he's done four Bond films, okay, two good, so, two bad. Okay, so you, yeah. I was, was forgetting you one. You made the mistake of you just forgot about Quantum of Solace, which is fair. No, I actually forgot about Spectre. Well done, me. Okay. Um, <laughs> The most recent one. <laughs> <laughs> good. So, uh, so right now he's fifty fifty. Right about now he's fifty fifty. Yeah, just like and he Lamar wants to go sixty forty. Yeah, <laughs> he wants to go. Hang on. Yes, thank that you. Works. Thank that you. works. Yes, got there in the uh, end. I think I think that's true. And I, I, obviously, at some point, Eon have driven a, a Brinks <laughs> truck filled with gold, and they've backed it up, and they've given him a season ticket at Anfield, and all the sorts of stuff that would appeal to him. But I think at a, at a certain level, I think it's, it is about that. He does genuinely want to go out in the high, and I think he probably recognises the spectre was not that. And so, therefore... So let's hope this one's one good time. and not sucky. There we go. Jimbo, how do you feel? About Bond? It's just general. Staggeringly indifferent. No, <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I expect it was terrible, but... Uh, was it terrible? It, it was, was quite terrible. terrible. Yeah, good for a sound. Skyfall though, was loads it? of fun, and I saw bits of Casino Royale again the other day, and it's really, really good, really good. It yeah. enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. Um, so, in fact, it's funny. I was just thinking about it as I tied someone to a chair and then cut the bottom out and got a knotted rope and started. Anyway, what I do in my spare time is not your business. <laughs> um, but uh, no, yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm, I like a good Bond film, unlike uh, Helen, and um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see him do another one. I mean. I, I don't really hold with all of the excitement over the car. Oh, who's going to be Bond? Is it going to be Idris Elba? I mean, ultimately, I don't really care. You know, it's not, it doesn't matter. Like when Daniel Craig got cast as Bond, everyone was like, who the fuck is Daniel Craig? You know, he was like, what? Layer Kate? Mm? You know, wasn't he in Tomb Raider? What's going on? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Kind of, he grew into the role and it was, it was less about him and more about, you know, the complete change in tone and the fact that Casino Royale mm. was very well written. I, I think that if, if there was less insanity over the whole Bond thing, as, as you've kind of touched on, I would like it a lot more. Yeah. The fact that even, you know, it's freaking tabloid cover news in this country it just drives me up the wall. Mm. Um, so anyway, I, hey, there was I, good news this week. Though. I was in Malta and I walked past a news agent in Malta and it was on the front page in Malta like, that Daniel Craig madness. had been cast in that role. Um, but it's like you know, oh, could we have a black bond? I mean, who cares? Should we just cast someone good? It doesn't matter. None of this stuff matters. You know, it's all so politicised about this sort of stuff. Oh no, I almost want that said. There's a part of me, the Schadenfreude in me, would like to see a female Bond cast, if just to see the expressions on all those misogynist twats' faces as they get apoplectic on the internet over it. So I think that would be quite fun. It would be nice. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about good news. This and is good news. That was good that news. That was news. Very good news for Daniel It was Daniel barely Grace, news. Accountant. I mean, it was barely news, it was, was news. it? Anyway, Michael Sheen and David Tennant have signed up to star in Good Omens. Coming straight to video near you. In, no, uh, it's TV. It's, it's a Sky One drama, isn't it? No, Comedy. it's not. <laughs> 
I Amazon? mean, literally everything you've just said has been wrong. <laughs> okay, you can tell I haven't read the story. Where is it coming to, Helen? Please tell us. <laughs> it's coming to the BBC and Amazon. So I think it'll be okay. the BBC in this country, Amazon worldwide. I, probably. You know, I, obviously I said Sky because the ones they've done was it Hogfather and and and. Okay, but those, those weren't those been... were just Terry Pratchett, yeah, Discworld yeah. stories, I mean, this and this is, one is different. This, this is this always felt to me like a kind of a Discworld, mainly because deaths in it, you know. But right, but it's totally not a Discworld. Yeah. It's actually it's actually know, it's a, on Earth, a, a spin on the yeah. Omen, uh, and it has uh, two main characters, two of the main characters. It's quite a large ensemble, uh, but two of the main characters are an angel and a devil or a demon, um, and their their names are Aziraphale and Crowley, and they have been cast as respectively Martin, Michael Sheen. Not Martin Sheen, different. Uh, Michael Sheen and David Tennant. Although, actually, Martin Sheen would be great too. Darn, I kind of want to see that. Isn't there a supernatural connection here? A supernatural connection to Good Omens. Why is a supernatural bell got off in my head when you said Crowley, devil? There is, uh, yeah, there is a demon in... The King of Hell in Supernatural is called Crowley, yeah. And it all becomes clear. They, I mean, they are very open about the fact that they rip off Neil Gaiman all the time. Uh, homage, sorry, my lawyers suggest. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a whole different thing. But this is this is a kind of a spin on the omen. Mm. So this is what if, instead of the Antichrist being handed to the ambassador and his wife, there was a mix-up at the hospital and he was raised instead by very quiet middle-class cl- middle Brits as a perfectly normal kid. And that's sort of the setup for the whole thing. So, you know, the Antichrist has been born, heaven and hell are planning this big war, but the Antichrist isn't where he's supposed to be and nobody knows where he is. And that's sort of the setup of the story. Uh, it's really, really good. There was a BBC radio drama um, a couple of Christmases ago, which was, I thought, just okay. And I think they needed to do more adaptation and, and be a bit looser with the book in order to make it work. Um, but given it comes from Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, who are two of my favourite writers, like I'm still super on board with it. Mm. And as long as they, and obviously Neil Gaiman is adapting it at Terry's request it was one of his final requests to Neil Gaiman uh, so you've got to hope that this one gets it super super right because it could be great mm. and what do you think of the casting happy with the casting super happy as soon as you heard I heard those two names I'm like well obviously I know who they're playing like there's no it's a very very big cast but immediately like well they're obviously Aziraphale and Crowley that, that that just makes sense so yeah 100% I would say David Tennant is the more nailed on of the two uh-huh. in yep. terms of my Im- mental image of the character. But Michael Sheen is not far off. He's he's going to be really good at it. Absolutely. I need to go back and reread that book. I remember loving that book. It's brilliant. Uh, years and years ago. So I need to give it another go. I think mine is actually signed by Terry Pratchett, wow. if I recall correctly. Mine's signed by both. Oh. <laughs> mine's lost. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There we go. Good times. Uh, there was another bit of news this week about Hellboy. Um, uh, American Honey's star Sasha Lane has been cast as the uh, the love interest, basically, in the rebooted Hellboy. Uh, she was phenomenal in that film. Absolutely unbelievable. And she's a really, really interesting actor. I, I don't know what she's going to do with this because that was such a different kind of a film. It was sort of semi-improvised and kind of really loose and loosey-goosey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what she brings to kind of a big studio movie. Um, but uh, but she's going to be playing Alice Monaghan in this story okay. who was uh, uh, kidnapped by fairies and uh-huh. rescued by Hellboy. Same. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but she reappears as... Uh, she was That was as a, ki- a baby, and then she reappears later as a grown woman. And then there's a bit of a love story. Ooh. It's a bit weird, isn't it? A bit of a... Bit of a 
age difference there as there would be between <laughs> her and her, her lead, who would, of course, be David Harbour. David Harbour. So, yeah. I think that's good. I'm really, really glad she's getting such a high-profile job and mm-hmm. I hope she gets more of them because, yeah, I think she's brilliant. And she's um, also signed on to star in Ben Wheatley's Freak Shift. Well, there you go. So two of her films after American Honey have are both kind of weird genre pieces. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything to read into that. I just wanted to say it and <laughs> point it out. But okay. There you go. Uh, so Sasha Lane in Hellboy. What's it called again? Hellboy... The Blood Queen or Hellboy? It's called something, isn't it? It's called Hellboy something. Yeah. Hellboy something. Bloody Hellboy. Bloody Hellboy. <laughs> there you go. You come to the Emperor Podcast for definitive takes on movie news. We know all the names of the upcoming movies. <laughs> well, we, we know bits of them. We know bits and pieces. Mm. Uh, so Hell Hellboy mm. is coming to cinemas very, Hellboy? very soon. Did you see their uh, remaking License to Drive? I, I did see that. Mm. And uh, like you with Bond, I'm staggeringly indifferent. You're not a fan? No. Is Licensed to Drive, wait, what? Is 1988 that the, film, The Corys. With The Corys. Film, and Heather Graham, interestingly. I mean, Heather I was. Graham. I remember being mm. super hyped for that when I saw it on a video store shelf when I was <laughs> like 11, but I, I, really I haven't been super hyped about it ever since. I haven't watched it in many decades. I, the overwhelming, like the only scene from that film I remember is one where, and I think Hamish driving, and I think it's Feldman in the back, and I want to say, like, Heather Graham's unconscious and Feldman is using his camera to take pictures up her skirt. What? Which is really, really, really creepy. Uh, but that's, weirdly, the only scene I remember. But this is going to be a female-centric remake. Uh, no casting, I believe, announcements have been made as yet. But uh, So that's a thing that we can all well, be interested about. So wait, are there... Women drivers. I mean, that's not going to work out, is it? I mean, I'm going to be crashing into walls and stuff and, like, parking in double yellow lines because... Oh, no, 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 do not getting ha- any... Do okay. we have enough female actresses named Corey for this even to work? I mean, it's <laughs> a valid point. Uh, mm, we Kobe is kind of like Corey. Yeah, Cor- I've got a friend called Corey. There's probably some Corys out there. Kobe Smulders and Corey. Okay, yeah. this is super going to work. It's not Corey Maguire, my friend. Corey Maguire. Okay, yeah, there brilliant. you go. Kobe and Corey together um, at last. Speaking of female twists on ex- existing stories, uh, Saint Vincent is set to direct a version of the Picture of Dorian Gray, uh, which is of course the Oscar Wilde story about the very, very beautiful dude who gets his picture painted and then the picture ages Mm -hmm. and shows all of his moral degeneration while he himself remains super hot. Um, And it's going to be a a lady twist. Really? Yeah, as you know. This is the the pristine version? No, the... The, the really hot pictures in the attic. That's ah, okay. And yeah. you're the moral degeneracy. I'm the moral. <laughs> yeah. Was sense. that not clear? That <laughs> makes that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So anyway, uh, this is uh, this is coming from Saint Vincent, who's uh, she? I think did have a, a debut film recently. She was part of the XX, XX Horror yes. Anthology. Saint Vincent, uh, for people who don't know who that is, is a musician lady, isn't she? She is a musician lady, and she that's does. about as far as my musical knowledge goes. She does the singing. I've heard a couple of her, her songs, and I, I, I was tapping my foot to them a little bit. I had mm, a, bit of a bit of a groovy beat. Um, uh, yeah, probably not. Yeah, and uh, the, scre- the screenplay is by uh, David Burke, who wrote Elle, is mm-hmm. in the, the French film oh, uh, yeah, recently. Okay. So that's a really good sign. It's not that long since the last... Dorian Gray movie. With, if I correct me if I'm wrong. I will. Ben Barnes? Correct. Ben Barnes. What's happened to him? Where's he been? What's he up to? Ben, if you're listening, write in. We're worried about you. Call your mother. Honestly. Yeah. Staying out so late. That was 2009 though. 2009. Longer than it seems. That was Colin and Firth, Ben Barnes, and who was the lady in that? There, there was a lady in it, for Corey sure. McGuire. Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Was it? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Anyway, we're really bringing you the definitive <laughs> film knowledge today. And, and Tor- Dorian Gray was in Penny Dreadful. He was in Penny Dreadful. Yeah. Played by... I don't remember. That's right. And uh, <laughs> and he was, of course, in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Played yes. by Stuart Townsend. Stuart Townsend. Yes. I really liked him in that. I thought that was Franchise a really clever... Bridesmaid Stuart Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a really clever twist on the character, though. I he didn't, that. didn't hold a candle to his vampire stat in Queen of the Damned. Yeah. Well, I mean, what could... Well, quite. His Aragorn, perhaps, mm. in <laughs> Lord in, of the Rings? In, the in Lord of the Rings. Oh, well, never mind. Oh, well. Do you think there's a, there's a world where he's really famous and Eric Stoltz is really, really famous and Michael J. Fox and Figga Mortensen are just like sweeping the, the floors at the back yeah. of Asda? And Paulie Shaw was like in all of Tom Hanks' roles. Well, what did Paulie Shaw do? Reeve Carney. Reeve Carney, who played Spider-Man in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark on Broadway. There we go. Which I'm hoping to get tickets for when I go over <laughs> in December. I hear it's quite the hot stuff. So when does one turn off dark? Uh, Turning on a light by doing a show that loses millions of dollars, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to eventually flick the switch in that one. So Hannibal might be coming back. That's Hooray. quite exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting. I've yeah. just been watching some the Brian Fuller Hannibal. Yeah, yeah, yeah which got cancelled in twenty fifteen. He said at the time when there was a big uh, fan uprising uh, about bringing it back that they might look at it in two years when the rights to Silence of the Lambs expired. And true to his word, he has said that that is possibly moving ahead. Um, so that's exciting. Won't go to NBC, I wouldn't think, given that they killed it last time, but yeah. I'm sure he's shopping it around. Yeah. Uh, but that would be nice. Netflix! <laughs> well, quite, yes. Uh, it will undoubtedly land somewhere a bit like that. Amazon yeah. Prime, really. Um, Amazon, he yeah. is working with Amazon Prime, of course, for American Gods, so... So possibly. Could work. Uh, but that would be super exciting, because it's, it's the most stylish, murdery show ever made, I think. It, it's fair to say. It is. It's 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 very. I can never understand whether it makes me hungry or sick because like they're so both. fetishistic with <laughs> yeah. the food, and yet also with the vivisection. It's quite. Uh, Did I tell you about the time? I think Nick and I went to. I think it was season two. It might have been season three. What's the season where he starts off? He's in Europe. Hannibal's in Europe. That's the uh, three. Three. It's the last one. Okay, yeah. season three. So we went to the very first. Uh, we went to a special screen of the first episode of season three. And they, it was a really bespoke little cinema type place in London. And they served in between, they stopped at every act break. They stopped at every ad break. And they served us disgusting looking food uh-huh. that, you know, tasted great, obviously, by a gourmet chef. The idea was that, you know, the idea was like almost to echo every time there was an act of violence on screen, you would have food as well. Uh-huh. And it felt really decadent and... I just, you know, that reminds really... me of two things. Yes. The first thing is that I went to a screening of Killer Joe and they served fried chicken <laughs> uh, before the screening. And as it happened, I wasn't that hungry and I didn't have any. And I was super glad when I actually saw the film because if Context you remember that is film, everything. the use of fried chicken there was super gross. Um, <laughs> and secondly, I did something extremely fancy recently. I went to the Fat Duck, uh, which is Hessen Blumenthal's super, super fancy, fancy restaurant. And Basically, all the food there is like performance art. And I feel like Hannibal would have been completely at home, except he would have wanted more, you know, long pig (laughs) than we had. Would you recommend the fat dog? Because I I hear that... If you've been saving up, if you've been saving up for the past like ever, then I would definitely recommend it. How how much is it roughly? Give people people (laughs) an idea. I can't can't get the word tight. (laughs) I can't. Where's the decimal point? I mean, the decimal point is uh, the decimal point is after three places. It's after three places. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> the fat duck. Bear in mind, I'm teetotal. Yes, you are. 
Yeah. You are. So there you go. Right, lots of bottled water, please. Lots of tap water. Tap water. <laughs> tap water, please. I I have to see you pour enough in the tap. Uh, so fat duck. Uh, we should also talk about um, Tom Cruise. We should talk about Tom Cruise because lovely uh, man. Uh, this week came the news that uh, he has broken his ankle. The indestructible, indefatigable Tom Cruise has broken his ankle uh, while doing a stunt on the set of Mission Impossible 6. Yeah. And uh, the the footage was captured uh, by a rogue amateur photographer uh, who put it onto the internet, obviously. Oh. The moment where you can see Tom Cruise actually break his ankle and he's swinging between two buildings he slams into the building and then he hauls himself up into the building, the top of the roof of the building, which is Baynard House in East London, I believe. And he uh, then he staggers off camera and then sinks to his knees and you go, oh, this is this is bad. Uh, so there's lots of speculation this week, lots of rumours that he had broken his leg in multiple places and that Mission Impossible 6 would have to be shut down for months and that it would be uh, miss his release date of July 27th? Next sure. Year. Sure. Why not? Sure. Let's say that. Um, lots of rumours and uh, are rife at the moment. Uh, but Chris McQuarrie, who has been mainstay of this podcast, of course, got uh, he, he called us the other, uh, last night, in fact, and uh, set the record straight. And yes, Mission Impossible Six is going on hiatus for a couple of months because Tom Cruise has broken his right ankle and will need uh, a while to get back back on his feet literally quite literally on his feet uh, but the production will be now moving into the editorial phase and then when he comes back they'll they'll shoot some 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 stuff as well but he says Chris McQuarrie says they will not be missing their date and as the director he would know as the director he would know uh, but of course it's it's very interesting he also says the stunt was not a stunt gone wrong it was a stunt gone too right if anything that had happened. They they done. They did four rehearsals. He was meant to slam in the building each time. Ethan Hunt's meant to miss the building and just by grab on for for, to, for his life. And on the fourth take, he broke his ankle. And uh, there you go. And soldiered on with the take. Soldiered on with the take. Of course uh, he did. Fifty five years old. Tom Cruise is. And Chris McQuarrie said, "I I asked a question. I said, is this is this Tom Cruise's body sent him a signal? You know, that it's time to stop jumping off buildings. It's time to stop doing this stuff." Uh, he says, no, he's in better, and he is in better shape at 55 than I am at whatever age I am. Uh, but it's not, it's not 55. Ha ha, wing cruise. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I'm I'm pleased that he's on the mend, um, and I'm pleased at, at uh, McCory's optimism. Mm-hmm. And I think he's he's probably right that it, it may prove to be a blessing in disguise because if he's able to start editing the film together now, getting some of the post production work done at this earlier stage you know it gives you time to reflect to think to make sure you've got everything as as sharp and as clever and as as brilliant as it can be it could end up being the best thing that's ever happened to a film you know so fingers crossed for for them and obviously get well soon tom cruise absolutely didn't do the uh, force awakens any harm that's true indeed yeah very much the same thing happened on the force awakens where harrison ford broke his leg in a in an on-set snafu and uh yeah they, they took time to recalibrate as well so mm-hmm. indeed, uh, and we should also we should finish out the news section by talking about the the tragic death uh, that occurred on the set of Deadpool two last week, uh, where a, a stunt motorcycle rider, uh, Joy Harris, S J Joy Harris, uh, uh, perished in, in, in a stunt on the set of yeah. the movie. Um, and I don't think we're qualified in any way, shape, or form to talk about exactly what happened, uh, but someone has lost a life on the set of a movie, and it, it's very, very, very sad indeed. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the work that stunt people do is just so impressive 
throughout you know history uh, the kind of stuff that they do seems impossible and they make us believe in it and they make us believe in movies and they're enormously important to productions and yet they take these great risks upon themselves and uh, and yeah our, you know our hearts go out to her family and friends and the whole production who must be shaken by this and let's hope that uh, yeah let's hope that you know there's no further accidents because two in a week I think is quite enough yeah absolutely that we know of indeed so our hearts indeed go out to the family of Joy Harris who died on the set of Deadpool 2 last week Okay, so we should have a guest now, don't you think, Hill? Yes. We should. Yes, indeed, we should have an Empire guest, and he is an Empire legend, and I mean that literally because we gave him a trophy send pretty much the same at the 2016 uh, Jemison Empire Awards. Uh, he elevates every movie he's in, whether it's an Oscar-worthy drama or blockbuster schlock. Uh, he is possibly the only person to escape Transformers the last night with his reputation intact, maybe even enhanced because he had the good sense to get out while the going was good. <laughs> and uh, now he's back in the director's chair this week with Final Portrait, which uh, uh, tackles an interesting episode in the life of the acclaimed painter and sculptor Alberto Giacometti. Um, he is, of course, the great Stanley Tucci, Latouche himself, and he was speaking to R. Phil, who uh, took time out from negotiating a move to a more lucrative Spanish podcast uh, <laughs> in this very room earlier this week. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined by Stanley Tucci on the Empire Podcast for a second visit. I don't know if you remember this, Stanley, but your last visit was, was with Elizabeth Banks to talk about the Hunger Games. Oh my gosh. It yeah. got sweary really really fucking fast <laughs> and we're quite a sweary podcast our swear jar is 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 a bucket um but you you, you took it on a level well so well, thank what you what can i say yeah i mean you know and actually that's sort of where i wanted to start because we're here to talk about your new directorial film um final portrait which yeah. is a film about alberto giacometti yeah um you expect you know it's a film about high art obviously and the creative process but it's also a film about some very creative swearing um <laughs> And uh, you've got Jeffrey Rush, um, his sort of line reading of the word fuck. Can yeah. you just talk me through how, how that came, came about? Well, first of all, it's done with a Swiss-Italian accent, which is a strange accent. Uh, and it's used very often. And he also swears in French as well and Italian. Yeah. Um, we had a lot. There's a lot in there. There's a lot that's not in there that we, that is we there? shot. Yeah, but it started to become too much. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of, a, fuck is sort of two syllables, isn't it? It's a fuck. It's a fuck. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, yeah. It's a lovely film and, and Jeffrey Rush is, is so good in this, in this role of this artist. I mean, everyone kind of knows about Giacometti because his work has famously gone for blockbuster amounts oh, of yeah. money. Yeah, the uh, largest ever paid for a contemporary sculpture. It, which was it's about... Like 140 million or 20 million, something, something like that. And where do you hang it? I, suppose you do, you, I don't know what you do with it. You did, it, wasn't, it wasn't your purchase. It, it certainly wasn't mine. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I guess I guess you know with these great artists, um, you, people often don't know that much about them and about what it, what what went into the art. Yeah, no, they don't. I mean, uh, a lot of times we see the uh, you know we see the result of that. We see the, obviously the art itself, but and then you see with the price that is paid for it. But little people don't know that you know up up until the late forties, nobody was buying Giacometti's. Work, right, you know, uh, the Tate actually bought uh, of work very early, earlier than most museums. Um, in the late forties, that they, they bought, but um, but he was an incredible artist. You know, he worked in, diligently and very strangely in, in through the night, and then he would sleep until like two in the afternoon. Then he'd get up and 
smoke more cigarettes and, you know, drink yeah. coffee, and then he'd work again, and then he'd go out to dinner, and then he'd work through the night again. He had the, the most unhealthy lifestyle yeah. ever, but created some of the greatest work ever. He looks like a man who's sort of on the on the verge of death Yeah, had, yeah at all yeah, moments yeah, in the film. He always looked like he was like you know, yeah. 80, even though he was only 65 when he died, yeah. You kind of want him to just get on with it. I mean, the the, the setup of the film is is this true life um, it, uh, portrait that he painted of an American writer. Yeah, yeah James Lord. James yeah. Lord, who's played by Army Hammer, mm-hmm. um, who sits for him. He's expecting it to be maybe a day or two. Yeah, he says, you know, I'll paint your portrait and do it in an afternoon, a day or two at the most. And uh, it ends up being 18 days. And it becomes... It became this book called The Giacometti Portrait on which I based the film. And it's their conversations during those 18 days, some of which were really funny, some of which are incredibly insightful. It's probably the best book written about the creative process, um, but also is really a frustrating experience because Lord had to keep changing his flight and um, had to sit for hours and hours and hours on end and watch Giacometti just, you know, sort of go through a, many phases of self-loathing, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Did, did you? Find, I mean, Army's talked about how <clears throat> the acting process in this film is sort of analogous with what's actually happening yeah. in the story. You know, he has to sit there oh, yeah. uh, for the whole film. Yeah. Did you find yourself sort of having a kind of a teacher-student dynamic with him, just telling you know, sit still, Army? Uh, just- <laughs> no, he was really good. He's very, uh, he's very diligent, Army. Um, uh, no, he was great. He was really great. But it is hard. It's frustrating because I mean, the story of. Making this is the story of the film itself, in a way. Yeah, you know, one guy sitting there getting frustrated about, oh, how can I really make this look like I'm painting, or how can I really, you know, I want to get this right, and then Army going, you know, I don't know if I can sit here for much longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you ever have that experience in your acting career where you're just you're on a movie and you call back, you call back for reshoots, and you're having to swap your life around, and you're just like, can we just, you know, can we call? I'm not comparing necessarily the. Oh no, all the time. Yeah, yeah. You think I thought it was over. I thought we were done. You know. And they say, no, they need you for one more day. And you're like, do they really? Yeah. Do I really? Do they really need me? And then you go and do it, and you're glad you did it, because the movie's better for it. Okay. That seems like Not a very... Not because of me, but I'm just saying because of the, <laughs> because of the scene. <laughs> you walk away before you finish, and you're like, you have one more day of me, and this film would just tip, yeah, tip into awards contention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No question. Um, you've known Jeffrey, I mean, I don't know if you knew him before The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. Um, no, but no, you, I didn't. It's a really interesting. I was looking back at that film. Um, it was a film here. I think it was a mini series in the US. And you play Stanley Kubrick, mm-hmm. um, and he plays at one point you playing Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. Was that? A, were you there for that? <laughs> that was very strange. I don't think I was there for that. No, no, no. no. It was a long time ago. Now, um, no. But I really liked Jeffrey. He was really nice and funny, obviously, and yeah. talented. He did a brilliant job in that. Yeah. Um, so he was always kind of. In my mind for this for this role, you were on the, just 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 final on the Peter Sellers. You as Kubrick, you were on the set of the War Room from um, yeah. Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, was that was that weird? It was so weird. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing what they did. Yeah, I mean it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I just showed it to my son actually, Ooh. my seventeen year old. Did you? Yeah. I would imagine right now might be a time that you'd want to not watch that film potentially. Yeah, but... well, we watched it before Trump came into office. Okay. So, yeah. What's next? Mm. Failsafe. Jesus, you're right. I know. God. Jeffrey um, smokes a lot of cigarettes as Giacometti. Mm. You know, we talked about his self-destructive streak, Mm. um, his sort of flamboyantly self-destructive streak. You had a similar experience, I believe, on um, Road to Perdition. Mm -hmm. You played Frank Nitti, the Mm. the Italian-American gangster. Mm. And I gather 
that you smoked up to 80 cigarettes. Oh, I don't know. How it was a, I mean, IMDb is very oh, that, meticulous well, that actually, on the numbers. I, I can't really imagine that's true. No. But um, no, there can't be that many. It wasn't that um, many. And also, you're not ever smoking an entire cigarette. So, um, But anyway, you're smoking a lot. Yeah. And <clears throat> I guess we weren't using the the herbal cigarettes. I guess we were just using regular cigarettes, and I felt so sick. Really? It's happened like three times on movies to me. When you're not a, are you a smoker? Were you a smoker? Yeah, I was smoker. Yeah. I used to, uh, occasionally you yeah. take a cigarette, but not like that, you know. That's like, ugh. Really? Yeah, it's bad. So Sam would go, go again, and you sort of book in with your sort yeah. of GP. Yeah, so you're very careful in how you have to, you Oh, know. I see. Yeah. Fair enough. So Jeffrey... Jeffrey was okay because you are using. He was herbal. fine. He's a, he's a very healthy smoker. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Um, I noticed on the thank yous at the end of the credits, Steve Buscemi's name. Mm-hmm. What, what was the? What, is there a story behind that? Well, Steve is a very good friend of mine, and we have a production company together um, called Olive Productions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's why, because Steve's always been very helpful to me in. Um, when we're working on a project, you know, one of our own projects, we'll usually send it to the other to read first or to, you know, look at it, ask advice and stuff like that. Right. He's one of my dearest friends. Did he give you some good notes on, on this one? Yeah, well, God, he read it so many years ago. He still hasn't seen the film. Oh, really? But no, no, but he read it many, many years ago. So he doesn't know he's thanked. No, he doesn't know he's thanked. Um, you've had, away from directing, you've had a... a um, uh, an interesting, unusual year as an actor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you played a singing piano. Yes. Which is something I'm, I'm sure you were waiting for yeah. that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, for decades. For yeah. decades. Yeah. And also, and I have to ask you about this, Transformers. Um, you played two characters in the Transformers franchise, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a mind meld um, yeah. <laughs> in itself. But in, in, in the most recent Transformers, you play uh, a drunk wizard, Merlin. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just tell us what that experience was like? A lot of people were like, Stanley Tucci appears as a drunk wizard, mm. and then he doesn't come back, but we were sort of expecting him to come back. Were you expecting <laughs> I, to come back? I wanted to come back. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to come back as either of those characters. I had a great time. You know, the first one was really fun. It was obviously a five-month shoot yeah. for me, but it was really fun. I loved working with Michael. We traveled all over the place, and a great character and all that. And then when they were making this one, we thought that, they were going to bring all those characters back again. And they basically didn't. They brought Mark back, and then right. there was a whole new thing. And I thought, well, that's sad. I wanted, really wanted to make another one. Yeah. And then Michael said, they said, okay, Michael wants you to play this other role. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. How does it even make They said, no. And then I read it, and I thought, well, this is fantastic. This is really funny. So I went and I worked for a week. We shot here. We shot in Ireland. And... I had the best time ever <laughs> with, you know, all that great makeup and doing yeah. the accent and all that stuff. It was it was a gas. So if they make another one, I'd, I'd happily come back as, You're as Merlin. Yeah. Do you remember any of your dialogue as Drunk Merlin? No, I was drunk. Of course I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, this is not intended to sound in any way glib. I mean, you've been directing for, for quite a long time now. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you picked up from Michael Bay as a director? Yeah, the thing is, Michael, Michael has an incredible visual sense. Um, and what I really like about Michael, and this is what Steve Buscemi said to me, because Steve worked with him a couple times, a long time ago, and he said, he said the thing about working, when I was going to work with Michael the first time, he goes, the thing about working with Michael, he says, it's like making an independent movie with a shitload of money. <laughs> and, and he's right, because Steve and I, the movies that we direct are independent movies, and he, and he was right, because Michael's incredibly spontaneous, and that's what I really like about him, and that's the way I 
love to be as an actor and love to be as a director. And that just sort of solidified my belief in, in that process. He, he really loves actors, and he, he's not afraid. Like, you have your script, and you come in, you've got your lines ready to go, and, and he goes, oh, fuck it. don't say that. <laughs> say something else. I go, what do you want me to say? He goes, I don't know, just make it up. <laughs> and well, then we have the best time, and then it becomes playful. The camera keeps running. He's throwing out direction to you, and I go, wait, what about this? What about that? Let me try one like this. Blah, 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 blah. And it's really exciting and visceral, and yeah. I really, really like that. A lot of directors are just... Uh, rather pedantic. They're just kind of, you know, you do the thing, you say the lines, then cut, and you wait while everybody futzes around mm. with something, and then they go, okay, again, and then you do it like ten times, and, you just, and you're just so bored by the end, you're just trying to invent something. Did you have that experience on Devil Wears Prada, where there was an opportunity to sort of improvise, extemporize? Yes, to a certain extent, yeah. yes. Uh, not, not quite as much on like Michael's movies. <laughs> no. But, no, but also, De- but, but David is such a wonderful director, uh, he's very judicious and like you'll do a few takes and, and that's it right but he's a really, really very specific uh, director yeah can't let you go without asking you about one of our favourite movie dads um, Dill in, oh in, in Easy A in Easy A yeah. yeah I mean what a character great great um, um, yeah. Patricia Clarkson you yeah. have incredible yeah. chemistry um, I've read you say that you parent like Dill no this is completely untrue it, you but Okay. No, Sorry. I mean, there are no. times, there are times, yeah. yes, when, yes, I'm quite flippant, you know, yeah. and um, laid back to a certain extent. But, you, but for, no, for the most part, no. I, I wish I were that relaxed. No. You haven't yeah. told them they're adopted or anything like that in, in jest? Oh, yes, actually, I have said that. <laughs> <laughs> Busted. Yeah. And they spell swear words in peas. Yes, spell it with right. your peas. Yeah. Um, Got to let you go shortly. Just, <laughs> just lastly, a couple of things. I wondered if, I mean, the the, the directorial um, life doesn't work this way, obviously. So if I ask you what your next movie that you want to direct yeah. is, I'm sure it's over the horizon. But yeah. do you have things that are kind of itching away? Oh yeah, without question. Yeah, there are plays that I want to direct. There are. There's a movie that I've written based on a book called City of Women that takes place in Berlin at the end of World War II. Right. So I'm hoping to put that together in the next year or so. Um, and then, you know, acting and stuff, whatever I... Yeah. Yeah, whatever comes down the pike. Um, and very lastly, um, we in the office um, are big fans of your work. Um, you. And we have a nickname for you. I don't know if it's... Our nickname for you, if it's something that you you get elsewhere, I don't know. It's we call afraid. you the, the Tooch. Oh yes, no, that's this is your perfectly nickname. Fine, yes, that's absolutely that's okay. Very common. Oh, okay, fair yes, enough. Yes. So we're not. In fact, I'm... my father was called Tooch, right? And that's his. Yeah, and and he, I have a mug of his, like a shaving mug or something. Yeah, it's a Tooch on it from college. So you have a mug that says Tooch, but you presume you don't use it for your tea. No, I don't. Okay, no, I, I drink espresso. a tiny tooch mug Um, thank you very much uh, for joining us Stanley Tucci the tooch thank you so much (laughs) thanks thanks. Stanley Tucci there Uh, we weren't around for that Helen no alas alas and alack a big shame I would have asked him about his uh, Levi jeans commercial from the United States. Have you seen that? <laughs> I have. Have you seen that? It is wonderful. It is a thing of absolute joy. He's a feral, bald man. James, he always you must love him. I, I consider him a personal role model. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember him in Murder One? He wasn't bald in it, but he was really good. That was his, I think, big breakthrough, really. So you don't remember him in Murder One? I've never seen Murder One. To be oh, you'd love it. It's brilliant. No, I never saw you it. Have seen, who has seen every TV show, American TV show, because... 
this weird disdain for British stuff. Yeah. Uh, ever made. Apart, apart from that one. Really? Yeah. What's the musical it. one? I'm sorry? There was a cop, cop rock. Do you remember that? What? Okay. No, you've just made that up. There was a uh, show, and it was by, the, I'm pretty sure it's by the same guy who did NYPD Blue. And it Even was... Boschko. Yes. And it was called Cop Rock, and it was a musical cop show. And it's about a cop that can't be stopped, is it? Pretty much. Unless he <laughs> yeah. rocks. And it ran, you won't be surprised to know, for just <laughs> a few episodes and then it got cancelled. Uh, you shock uh, and astound me. I'm not googling this because if, if we've been consistent with one thing this week, it's not knowing <laughs> what the hell we're talking about. So if I'm right about this, if there is a show called Cop Rock, then do write in and, and let us know. Okay. Uh, okay, so as I said earlier, uh, we have teamed up with Sky Atlantic for this week's podcast to celebrate the release of their new thriller, Tin Star. And it's exciting for me, but it's even more exciting for Helen O'Hara because she was on set yeah. of Tin Star. Uh, Hell's Bells. Yes. Um, so I got to go to Calgary late last year in the middle of the winter and I got to tour the sets and the locations and meet the cast. And so I've been looking forward to this show a lot ever since then. So uh, Calgary, for those of you who don't know, is sort of the Texas of Canada. It's the heart of the oil industry there. It's about as close to the Wild West as you can get these days, hence the influences of classic Westerns on this series. Um, we started off in a very posh restaurant in downtown Calgary, where Christina Hendricks was playing Mrs. Bradshaw, who's an oil company PR expert. Oh, Mrs. Bradshaw. Oh, can't trust her. Um, and she was busy threatening her dining companion at oh. the time. Ask yourself what I might be prepared to do to ensure your silence, was one line that I remember. Oh, thank God. Um, according to Hendricks, <laughs> her character started out with good intentions and was kind of like um, a, a basically an environmentalist. And she wanted to then start to try to change the world from the inside by working for this company. But she does seem to have lost her way. And the executive producer, Alison Jackson, told us it's not an environmental thriller, but that is part of the kind of the mix here. Um, but most of the action t- takes place in the town of High River, which plays Little Big Bear. And that's where Tim Roth's character, Jim Worth, becomes the sheriff after trading in a career as a London undercover cop for something that he thought would be quieter. Um, we headed out to Avalanche Country, according to a road sign, to his country home. And you can see why they decided that this would be like a perfect place to raise a family. They've got this amazing house dusted with snow on the bend of an icy river that looked like Leonardo DiCaprio might crawl out of the water at any moment Clutching wearing a bearskin. <laughs> the big puddle sitter. Exactly. Um, despite my slightly frozen feet, I volunteered to move in immediately. Um, but sadly, it's turned out that some quite dark stuff was happening in the house and there were some blood trails around the area and at the ni- as night fell some fire crews came in and the gorgeous uh, Desrez began to look a little bit more threatening. Um, that's all a bit like Worth himself. Underneath a friendly law-abiding exterior there's a very dark past, another side that he once tapped into to go undercover among the very worst of the worst. And so Roth tells us that you can kind of tweak the characters you go on a 10 episode show and shade him and push him in different directions and in this case it sounded like he'd given his character some very dark shades and I don't mean glasses so you've got a sheriff with a taste for violence who's out for revenge after he's wronged there's a big company it's commercial interests on the line everything is set on a collision course and a little bit of damage to property is frankly going to be the least of anybody's concerns so I'm looking forward to seeing how it turns out and I'll be able to do so on when? September 7th. September 7th. When all the episodes will be available on Sky. Or you can wait. Because it's, it's all weekly. Oh my goodness. Wow. So many choices. So 
Huge. Huge choices. So Tin Star there, September 7th, Helen was on set. Long flight? Uh, probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, okay. Alright. Tin Star, September 7th, Sky Atlantic. Uh, and right, now, time to talk about the reviews portion of the show. Uh, we're going to start off with the first in a planned series of films that will bring Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower, to the big screen. At least, that was the plan. Because <laughs> I've got a sneaky suspicion, and I will say this, I haven't seen The Dark Tower yet, and I'm a massive Stephen King fan. Yeah. Uh, I've read everything Stephen King's ever written, including grocery lists, and... Uh, and I haven't seen The Dark Tower. I've missed every screening. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that I may have dodged a bullet. Which is difficult to do with Roland Deschain, but there you go. <laughs> so talk, talk us through this. Um, so this one doesn't look like it's going gonna, it's gonna to go anywhere. And have, am I missing out? Am I missing anything? Sadly, no. As much as it pains me to say, uh, this feels like the sort of Cliff Notes version of, uh, of the Stephen King book, which maybe was inevitable if you're turning eight very lengthy novels into a 90 minute film but but it's it feels particularly stripped to its bones i have to say so i mean the story starts we're told that a dark, dark tower stands at the you know the center of the universe mm-hmm. holds creation together it does. but it's said it can be toppled by the mind of a child what and then we're introduced to what? matthew mcconaughey's man in black uh-huh. and he's trying to use children in a sort of infernal machine to bring the tower down. The accursed villain. And then we learn that this has all been part of a vision or a nightmare for young uh, Jake Chambers, who's played by Tom Taylor. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, he's seeing all these visions of what's going on, but obviously can't kind of control them, doesn't know what's real, what isn't, um, is being sent to, for a sort of psychiatric evaluation, all this kind of stuff, because his parent, or his mother and his, his sort of her boyfriend are worried about him. Um and then he finds a portal to another world and realises it is all true when he goes through and he meets the gunslinger, Roland, who's played by Idris Elba. Have you read all the books? No. Because uh, I, I, I haven't and yet saw this and it felt to me at once that it tried to cover far too much in too short a time. But at other points it felt like it was doing the opposite. Do you know what I mean? It was a, it was a slightly odd thing. I, it made me desperate to see the sort of... You know, four-season HBO miniseries on the same subject, quite frankly. That would have been amazing. That could have worked. This, I, I agree, it feels completely stripped down and sort of accelerated in order to kind of fit it in. There's there's bits that are clearly meant to be significant, and yet their significance is lost. And I think when you have something that involves, I mean, I said this in the review, but, you know, you've got lines like, his shine is pure, and, um, and the whole notion about the dark tower, you've got all these kind of throwaway lines that, don't make a lot of sense in themselves. Mm. And so you need to have that context to make them feel sensible instead of nonsensical. Mm. Um, and, and we didn't really have that. I mean, I thought Idris Elba actually was great. I thought he was super cool. I really liked all of his reloads. Those were awesome. Yes. But the fight scenes themselves were not that good. No. I think it's uh, a lot of it felt just quite inelegantly directed as well and the storytelling was very clunky and they relied too much on really kind of first base 80s fish out of water New York kind of beats Mm -hmm. which I just I I mean the bit about the hot dog you know it's like uh, there are no dogs in this or whatever the line was Uh, it just it felt very 
very rudimentary. Yeah. I, I think there's there's a really interesting story in there somewhere. And there were tantalising moments where you'd see glimpses sort of through a pane of glass into the broader sort of king verse. Yes. Like whether it be sort of Pennywise's name appearing here or a poster appearing there. And you think the mythology of this feels very deep and very intricate. And I feel that like we haven't scratched the surface. Yeah, not even remotely. It felt like a sort of 80s kids film and yeah. not in a particularly good way. Um uh, I think I think that's yeah, I think that's sad but true. I mean, I think Matthew McConaughey as well. It was weird. It was just weird. I mean, his hair was super weird. The sort of kind of dark, spiky thing yeah. he had going on, and it sounded like presumably for effect they had re-recorded all of his dialogue to give him a weird echo. And it it just it's another distancing, bizarre decision that doesn't really chime. So this is directed by uh, the Danish director Nikolai Arcel. Yeah. He's a massive Stephen King fan because uh, I wrote the feature for this for, for Empire but I still haven't seen the film. And he told me that he used the books of Stephen King as he was growing up to help him learn English. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of Stephen King's constant readers as am I. Um, as am I? As, as are you. Jimbo, you must be as well to some extent. No, I think I've only read The Green Mile. What? Really? I'm pretty certain that's the only King I don't think that's even top ten. Mm. And I, I haven't finished it. The Dark Tower. No, I don't think I've read any of the others. Um, but I have to say, there's a there's a name in this movie, and he's been connected with this movie all the way through. Uh, it's actually not that long gestation period, um, because Stephen King only really finished finished the books in 2004, in a flurry of creativity after his car crash, after his car accident. Not he didn't he wasn't he wasn't in a car that crashed. He was anyway, um, and that's Akiva Goldsman. And Akiva Goldsman is the was the lead writer in this project, and uh, and and he his name in a project just fills me with dread, and and rightly so, from what I understand. Yes. Yeah, sadly yeah. so. I mean, I think there's just there's some not great decision making mm. behind this. I, I don't actually think it's it's the fault of any of the cast particularly. I thought mm-hmm. Tom Tom Taylor was fine. I thought he's his American accent didn't slip. He looked shocked when he should and worried when he should and all, you know, all the stuff that you <laughs> expect. all the right things. But, you know, all the, all the stuff that you demand of a teen hero in this kind of movie, that's all he had to do because he didn't get anything. He was basically the plucky kid. There's no, there's no extra character there. That's interesting because obviously, how much of The Dark Tower have you read? I mean, I've, I've read enough to have come across Jake. Yeah. yeah. There's a, well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's an interesting relationship between Jake and Roland and Roland's a really fascinating character and, Every every decision I saw in being made in this movie just seemed wrong to me. Uh, there's some I quite like. I quite like the audacious idea that this is actually a sequel to the books, and so there are things. So not everything would go quite the way you expect. And mm. I, I'm looking forward to seeing. It. I'm hoping to see it this weekend, and I'm hopeful that it won't be as bad as I have now been led to believe <laughs> it is. Uh, Terry, who couldn't be with us on this podcast, uh, asked me to pass on her feelings about the film. And okay. She says, "I quote: Please tell them it's a load of old shit." Okay. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's roughly paraphrased, and I think there were two, two or three more f bombs in there as well. Yeah, she, said, she was she wasn't a fan. She said it was one of the three worst films she's seen this year, which is very harsh. It's very harsh. Like, it's not a good film by any stretch, and I think Two Stars is absolutely nailed on what this is. But right. I didn't hate it. It's it's you know it's relatively painless at ninety minutes, and mm. it's uh, you know and there are there are. It's one of these things, it's like there's something really interesting, but you're staring at it through a very muddy pond. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something deep buried within it which could have been good, and you can recognise the gems of intrigue. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't do anything with them, or they just throw them away. Um, so it's not hateful, it's just a catastrophic missed opportunity. King novels are all about taking fantasy archetypes and Western archetypes and 
and reimagine them. And because the books are long and because you get to know the characters, that he can reframe those archetypes in a really interesting way. And I worry that having a 90-minute film where Roland Deschain, the gunslinger, is nothing more than just a two-dimensional gunslinger, no matter how good Idris Elba is. Yeah. And Matthew McConaughey is a one-dimensional bad guy who yeah. likes to go around being bad. Super I worry bad. that this may seem derivative. It's mm, a little bit like, you know, John Carter coming after Avatar seems derivative of Avatar, even though it's not the case. And I just worry that, you know, you won't get all the nuance that is in the books. That there is no little nuance. to no nuance. Yeah. <laughs> which, is a, which is a real shame. But, uh, you know, I, my, my understanding is that there is a really good Stephen King adaptation coming in a few weeks' time. So, yeah, fingers crossed. So fingers yeah. crossed for that. Um, I would also uh, like to say that this film, without saying any spoilers, ends on a shot which I'm almost certain is taken directly from Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> James doesn't like Doctor Who you should be no. aware of that but uh, but the, the big plans for this so it was film TV show film TV show and then film I think that's not going to happen that right? may not happen no yeah. I mean I mean, it's, it's one of I have to say in terms of book quality to film quality it's not quite the dark is rising but it's <laughs> not far off so there we go two stars for the Dark Tower. And uh, Jimbo, last week you interviewed Al Gore. You asked about the West Wing, but you also asked him about his new movie, which is an inconvenient sequel, which is a sequel to... An Inconvenient Truth. There you go. Okay. Uh, So tell us about this. This is a documentary. Yes, an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. Uh, Everyone probably remembers An Inconvenient Truth. It did indeed win an Oscar. This was in 2006 it was released. Uh, And essentially it was a harbinger of the doom of mankind as we spiral towards destruction thanks to global warming. But it wasn't doomy. It was quite, you know, it was quite optimistic. I'm not sure that it was optimistic. I, I thought it more as cautionary. It was like... We are all fucked unless you pay attention. That seemed to be the message of that documentary. It was very much like, you know, don't mess around, pay attention. There's time to fix this, but we need to get moving. And I, perhaps due to my natural sunny outlook, assumed that this would be very much, you know, it would start like the beginning of Mad Max Fury Road with, you know, Al Gore standing (laughs) next to a car looking out over the wasteland that is the Earth. Uh, But it isn't. It's actually a surprisingly upbeat film. Um, It sort of shows the strides that uh, many nations have taken to kind of combat global warming and, you know, uh, and how we've significantly improved renewable energy, the leaps and strides that that's come along in. I mean, yes, there are downsides to it. Uh, he shows the the consequences that we're already experiencing in terms of weather patterns, in terms of sort of glacier shrinkage and, and flooding and the sea level in Florida, which has now risen above the main street in, uh, in Miami. Um, but it's not a doom and gloom film at all. It's not as focused, I don't think, as An Inconvenient Truth, which is very much, I mean, it has a very clear core message. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a bit of a sort of a whistle-stop tour as sort of Gore goes around various places and he sees... Um, the effects of global warming and then it kind of you know it's sort of third act climax if you will is the signing of the Paris Agreement and kind of his part in making uh, India in this particular case you know, helping facilitate them saying yes to to what the other countries were proposing um, so it's it's like I say it's, it's an optimistic film uh, it, it ends on a slightly bum note I don't think that's a spoiler to say that obviously you know if we're talking about the Paris Agreement and you know, the Trump shadow looms large in the latter part of this film. And there's footage of him obviously saying that you know, the climate change is a hoax and just basically being an idiot and unhelpful, as he tends to be. Um, and I think that's that's perhaps the only down point to this. But it's a note of caution in an otherwise film where people are taking people are taking steps to combat this. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's a good thing. So it's a kind of don't rest on your laurels, you know, keep doing these things. But it's, uh, you know... Does it work as a... It's good. 
it works as a documentary? Does it work as a, as a piece of entertainment? Will people want to see this or will they feel they're being lectured for two hours, 90 minutes, whatever, whatever it is? A lot of it depends on how you felt about the first one. It's, uh, it's not as, it, like I say, it's not as tight as the first one. Uh, it is entertaining. Uh, it's, a, it's a broader canvas uh, and it covers a lot of sort of different areas. I think more than anything else, it's informative. Uh, it tells you a lot that I think a lot of people don't know. Like, I think there is a commonly held misconception that renewable energy is less efficient than traditional fossil fueled energy and that it could not possibly you know carry the burden if we switched entirely over to solar and wind but gore of course demonstrates that this is in fact untrue uh, vastly untrue so a lot of it is i think people owe it to themselves to see it just to kind of have a better understanding of this very important issue that affects all of us um and also it is a good film it's very entertaining he's an incredibly engaging public speaker he's very charismatic and he does make quite a dry subject that's not a pun uh you know Quite, quite entertaining. So, uh, yes, recommended we give this one three stars. So, do you think it'll be a, a three call, or will we all be dead by that point? It, it's entirely <laughs> possible that the that, that uh, uh, Mad Max is the three call. Yes, uh, I don't know. We'll see. It, de- it depends very much on 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 what happens over the next few years. I would say, indeed, three stars. Three stars then for uh, an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. Uh, and we haven't, none of us, the three idiots in this booth, haven't, uh, haven't seen Stanley Tucci's The Tucci's Final Portrait, but uh, we gave it four stars. Uh, and said it's very, very good. So, and the, the Tucci has a sure hand, and the performances from Marmy Hammer and Jeffrey Rush are excellent. And it's a, it's a, and a look at an artist's life in an interesting way. It's a, it's a brief snapshot of a time when Giacometti was trying to struggling with this portrait. Um, so, yeah, it's all, it all so keep your eyes peeled for that one the Tooch has done it again four stars for Final Portrait and uh, I will tell you to avoid this week the Hitman's Bodyguard which is the Sam Jackson Ryan Reynolds uh, comedy thriller that doesn't really deliver on either of those fronts sadly it's a bit of a shame it really wants to be it's one of the latest movies that for me is trying desperately to be another Midnight Run uh, some of the beats from Midnight Run are repeated in this film beat for beat uh, and it doesn't quite work and you have uh, Sam Jackson is this abrasive hitman uh, going toe to toe with uh, Ryan Reynolds who is this fastidious bodyguard and it's almost spy versus spy turns into buddy movie it doesn't really work some nice little flourishes from director Patrick Hughes but otherwise I fully agree with Empire's two star rating of the hitman's bodyguard which is a shame because there are good people involved and that is it for this week's Empire podcast brought to you once again by Sky Atlantic and their new upcoming original revenge thriller starring Tim Roth Christina Hendricks 10 star 10 star coming to you for binging September 7th or weekly from that very same week as well join us next week for more film related fun, we'll be joined by Doug Lyman. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, director of American Made. Uh, I'll be using my patented Lyman detector on him just to see whether no. he's telling the truth. No. And uh, Will Poulter, uh, old free range Poulter, will be in to talk about his new movie, Detroit, as well. So, all very, very exciting, isn't it? Uh, right. So, that is it. And that is it. Until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Helen. Tiddly. It's goodbye from James. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to go on hiatus for a couple of months until my leg gets better. Well, really? No. No, I'm not. Oh. I'm not. It's just a thing I said. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. I'm off to save up to go to the fat duck. There you go. I'm off to I'm off to see Groundhog Day in New York before Andy Carl. They shut it down and Andy Carl leaves. And honestly, why did They're they... coming to London. We're okay. okay. It'll be fine. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>